So we're continuing our study in Daniel, and between this week and next week, we're going to wrap the book up. Today, we pick up with the voice of the angel in Daniel, in uh, Daniel 11, uh, verse 2, the first part. He says, and now I will show you the truth. The truth that he is going to show Daniel are the details of the prophecies that we already studied and that were revealed to Daniel in Daniel chapter 2 with the statue image, Daniel chapter 7 with the beast image or beast vision, Daniel chapter 8 with the ram and goat, and Daniel chapter 9 with the 70th week or 70 weeks. So for the sake of time, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, uh, we're, we're going to, to basically take verses 2 through 35. I'm going to put up a chart and the chart kind of coincides with the dates and the, and the verses. And then we're going to put up a QR code. Okay, If you don't know what a QR code is, you'll see it. And, and basically, we loaded up all the charts and the commentary. It's about 25 pages of reading. So if you want some light reading to do on a Sunday. And basically, it goes into detail about these verses and the historical things that happened. So it was the prophecy. And it's all the recaps of all those kingdoms and then also all the kings that rose up. Basically, there's about 100 prophecies fulfilled in those 35 verses. So for the sake of time, because it would take us another like month to get through this, and then it would basically be like an elongated history lesson. And I know some of you love history. People at the 9 o'clock service are like, oh, I could have did that. I love history. I'm like, you're like in the 10%, okay? So here's the thing. So if you want to go into detail, if you love history, we got some great reading material for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over the chart very briefly. Verse 2 is Darius and Cyrus. Verses 3 and 4 is Alexander the Great. Verses 5 through 20 are the kings of the north and kings of the south. And verses 21 through 35 is Antiochus Epiphanes. This chart is also on that QR code. So basically what happens here is when you read through, it just kind of goes through blow by blow of all the things that we learned. But then it goes into more detail of all these kings and all the things that happened. So much detail, so much detail that many critics don't believe this is prophetic material. They believe that it was written after the fact. See, when Daniel received these events, these things did not happen yet. These things did not happen. These things were not yet prophecy to Daniel. So basically what's happening here is critics are like, there's no way in the world, no way possible that it could be this accurate. So there's one of two options, right? It either was written after the fact and looked back in recording history, or it is prophecy from God, and it's 100% accurate, so detailed that people would ask questions. But we realize that the manuscript evidence of what's going on here and what the date that we believe that Daniel was written, it would have to be prophecy, the important thing that we have to really understand about this is these fulfilled prophecies actually give us more confidence in the not yet prophecies that we're going to study. So here's the QR code. If you want to do that now, you could uh, 
zoom your phone in. You can pick up your phone, zoom it in. If, if you can't do it from here, you can do it out in the um, foyer. There's a QR code there. It's the same one that we use for the bulletin stuff. When you get that, it will say PDF from the sermon. And if you want to read, it's a lot of reading. But uh, you know, I, I think you'll be blessed by it. But it's the exact commentary I use to study for all of you. So now just to map out the rest of today and next week, verses 35 through 45 are about the Antichrist and the events of the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Remember time, time and half of times? The first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation, what we learned in Daniel chapter 9 and the first half of the 70th week. Next week will be our final week. We're going to cover the events of the last half of the tribulation. Now, here's the thing. It's going to be an overview. For a detailed look at the tribulation, you don't need a PDF. All you need is your Bible and turn all the way to the end. In Revelation, chapter 6 through 19 is detailed about the tribulation. So if you want to start reading in there, you can read detailed information about the tribulation. Daniel just really just gives a, a brush of the surface. So we're going to pick up in verse 36. So the transition from verse 35, verse 35 is all the not yet, or all the already. Verse 36 picks up with the not yet, the rise of the Antichrist. It says this, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against god, the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. So now this is talking about the Antichrist. the king that rises up and he has disregard for God. It says that he will be a prominent figure until the indignation is accomplished. If you remember the indignation, we, you know, when we read that, I think it was Daniel chapter 8-ish, um, I can't remember, but uh, basically the time of the indignation, it's an event, and basically indignation means anger or annoyance provoked by unfair treatment. So the indignation actually refers to a period of time in the history in which God is indignant or angry with Israel because of their rebellion and rejection of him. It's a time in which God disciplines them by the hands of the Gentile nations. Now, the seven-year tribulation is the finishing up of that time. So now, during the seven years of tribulation, one of the things that, that we learn about the tribulation period is there's going to be a mass turning of Jewish people to Jesus. There's going to be a mass turning of Israel to believe that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah. So then it says this, He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers, or the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god. He shall magnify himself above all. Now, the Antichrist says he will not pay attention to the one true God. He will not pay attention to the one true God. And then it says this, or the one beloved by women. Now, most theologians believe this is a reference to Jesus, the Messiah, because Jewish women knew that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, because in Isaiah 7, 14, it said the Messiah would be born of a virgin. So the Jewish women of that, that, that time were praying, basically, that they would be the chosen one that Mary actually was. So that, that's what this is a reference to. So there was a hope of these godly Jewish women, that they would be that chosen one. 
Now, the Antichrist magnifies himself above all. Remember, there's that 10 king federation. He rises up. He becomes powerful. They, they sign a, he try, signs a peace treaty with Israel to protect them so that they can go into the land and rebuild the temple. But unfortunately, that does really not work out for the Jewish people because the Antichrist turns on them. But here's some of the things that go on. It says, he shall honor the God of fortress instead of these, a God whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor the God, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortress with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. So now basically what's happening here is he's going to be a man of war. He's going to honor the gods of war and the foreign god, which is Satan. He will honor those and serve, he will honor those that actually serve him. So basically what's happening here and now in the, in the tribulation, there's going to be a lot of war, a lot of conflict. It's a time like the world has never seen before. So basically what's happening now is the Antichrist is going to, you know, be a man of war. And he's going to honor those who honor him. So those who follow him, he's going to give them responsibilities, which is very interesting because when you study the Antichrist, I mean, let's break it down. He's anti-Christ. So now he's a counterfeit Christ. He's actually trying to do things like, remember back in the 10 plagues when, you know, Pharaoh, the magicians came and they counterfeited the, the miracles of God? That's exactly what the Antichrist is doing here. So just like God honors and rewards those that follow him and gives them responsibilities, the Antichrist is doing that in his economy. There's actually a point midway through the tribulation where he has a mortal wound and basically kills him and then comes back to life. You're like, what's going on here, okay? So basically, that's like a counterfeit resurrection. So everything the Antichrist does is going to be counterfeit, and it's going to be anti what Christ teaches. It's going to be anti-Christ, and that's where he gets his name. So it says this, At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind, with chariots and a horseman and many ships. He shall come into countries and shall overthrow and pass through. So basically, his reign is going to be conflict, war. Jesus said that, Matthew 24, wars and rumors of war. That's actually for the time of the tribulation. The wars and the rumors of war, that, that whole passage is talking about the time of tribulation. Then it says this, He will come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab, the main part of Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So basically, the Antichrist is going to make his pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He's going to set himself up there for the mid-time of the tribulation. See, all these passages and like Edom and Ammonites and stuff, this stuff hasn't happened yet. So, you know, people have made their best guesses. Okay, this is this country and this and that. We're not going to get into all that. Basically, what we do need to know is the time of the rule of the Antichrist. There's just going to be war, conflict, unsettled. The scriptures say a time like the world has never seen. So, you know, when we look at the world now, we're like, oh, what's going on in Ukraine? Like, all this stuff. Like, this is like child's play compared to what is going to happen during the tribulation period. It's just going to be a time that the world has never seen. The world is just so much conflict. Everybody's fighting. 
So then it goes on. It says, he shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. His rule is going to be limited. It's limited to the seven years, and it's going to be marked with war, conflict, and turmoil. And it says, he shall pitch his palatial tents, his like, palace-like tents, between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. He shall come to his end, and none to help him. This verse reminds us there's going to be an end. There's going to be an end to his reign that will be the end of the seven years of tribulation. You remember back in chapter two when that rock came down and busted the statue up, the rock representing Christ? Well, there's going to be an end to the Antichrist. So now we have to ask ourselves these questions. When looking at this prophecy of the Antichrist, what's the takeaway for today? Because here's the thing. If our end times theology is correct, we will be raptured before the Antichrist rolls up. So we won't be here, okay? We're not going to be like, you know, in Daniel, like, oh, oh, this is, this is it, this is it, this is it. We're going to be in heaven like, whoop, oh, that's it, okay? So here's the thing. Why do we need to know this? What do we need to take away from this? What needs to happen from here to then for us as believers? Like, what needs to be our perspective? And really, the Apostle John helps us to understand this. He helps us to understand this in 1 John 2. And that's where I want to kind of spend some time. He says this, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. So what does this mean? If our end times theology is correct, right? We're in heaven with Jesus when the Antichrist rules. So what is John talking about when he says many Antichrists have come? Many Antichrists have come. He's teaching us as believers that whoever rejects Christ is, by definition, anti-Christ. They're anti-Christ. If we reject Jesus, if a person rejects Jesus, and rejects to follow him, rejects to trust him, they are actually anti-Christ. So what do they need to actually reject about Jesus? Because you know many people in your life, right? The, oh, what do you think about Jesus? Oh, he's a good teacher. Oh, he was this. He was a nice guy. Oh, he taught us how to live. Like, he says, like, all these nice things. Like, that's what people, you know, maybe the common belief. He's a great historical figure. Like, you know, we base our calendar on. Like, they have all these different things. But what do people really need to believe about Christ. And the truth of the scriptures teaches us this. We need to believe that Christ is the Savior. You see, Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. We are all sinners and we need a Savior. Jesus died to pay the price for our sins. Three days later, he rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And the scriptures tell us this. All who believe will have eternal life. All who believe will have eternal life. So when we trust in Christ, we are for Christ. When we don't trust in Christ, we're actually anti-Christ. But John is just not talking about the, the average Joe that's like, oh yeah, you're a Christian, that's good for you. And like, I just do whatever I want. Like, I just hang out. You know what I mean? Like, I don't do the things that you do. I, I just do whatever I want. Because the rest of the passage, John is teaching the believers, that there are some out there in this world that will not teach the truth about Jesus. 
they're actually going to try to deceive us from following Jesus. They're actually going to try to get us off track. So here's what John says. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. See, when we're deceived, we're sidetracked. We're drawn away from what Jesus teaches. When we're deceived, we're drawn away from what Jesus teaches. So then we have to ask, well, what does it matter, right? What, is, what does it matter if I'm drawn away from what Jesus teaches? If I already believe in Jesus and the rapture is going to happen and I'm not going to worry about the Antichrist. Well, you see, John is writing this to believers because it matters so much how we operate in this world and what we believe about what is true in this world. So it matters, I'm, I'm going to say in at least two ways. There's probably more, but I'm going to say in at least two ways, and, and we're going to title that the dangers of deception today. There's dangers of being deceived. Now, the first danger of being deceived is being deceived leads to disobedience. Do you realize that the more we are deceived, the more we're confused about what is right and wrong, and it becomes difficult to do the right thing because we don't know what the right thing to do is. You get that? So if you're deceived and you don't know the difference between right or wrong, now all of a sudden you're confused. Like, I don't know the difference, okay? I don't know what to do. You know, I, I don't know what decision to make. I don't know who to listen to. I don't know who to follow. So then we have to ask the question, where do we go to find out what is right and wrong? Well, the answer is clear to me, and I hope it's clear to you. The answer is God's word. Now, as believers in Christ, the word is our standard. The word is our standard, not the world we live in. Let me repeat that again. The word is our standard, not the world we live in. So if we follow the world, there's a good chance we're going to disobey God. So here's what happens for us as believers. There's a couple of things. One is if you don't know anything about the word, you're going to be confused. You're going to be like, okay. Because here's the thing. We live in what they call a post-Christian generation. So people aren't going to be like, oh, I find my standards in God's word. Do you know a lot of people that do that that are not in this church, that are not your Christian friends? If you go out into like just the, the regular world, into uh, school, into your work and stuff, are there people that are like, yeah, I live by biblical principles. You find that to be true? You don't really find that to be true. In fact, a lot of people just disregard the Bible. So basically what's happening is this. If we don't go to the Bible for the standard of what's right or wrong, where do we go? Where do we go? Well, you know, everybody says go to the world, what you think is right. And uh, well, this is kind of confusing, isn't it? And this is what happens. When there's no direct truth or right and wrong, people are confused. They don't know what to do. Well, I feel like this is right, but I don't feel like that's right. Well, I feel like this is wrong. Well, I don't feel that that's wrong. Well, who's right? Am I right? Are you right? Well, I'm the one up here. I must be right, right? <laughs> isn't this confusing? So now what we do is we go to the word to find out truth from the word and what Christ says. So John is saying to the believers, there's, there's going to be people that they're going to try to deceive you. They're anti-Christ. Okay, some are like have evil, malicious intent. Others are just confused, so they want to continue to confuse other people. So here's the deception. When we do the wrong thing, but we don't think it's wrong, then we start to say, am I really wrong? Am I really disobeying? 
If I don't think it's wrong and then I do the wrong thing, what's the difference? How is that wrong? So the deception then becomes confusion in our mind. Then we're confronted with what God's word says, but then we start to challenge it. Well, how do you know that's true? Well, you know, how do you know God? Like, I don't know much about God. And this is where we have to look and point to things like when we study a book like Daniel and see all these fulfilled prophecies, you want to know God's real? Okay. Who can predict the future 100% of the time? God. Okay. So now I see that he's done that in the past. So now that I can have more confidence in knowing that this God that we trust and love knows what he's doing. So then we start to live a life of disobedience because we're confused because we're deceived into thinking that we're not being disobedient because we don't know the difference between right or wrong because we have no standard now. And that leads us to the next thing, and that is being deceived passes on deception. So now we have to ask ourselves this question. Do we have any responsibility to the generations to come? Do we? I believe as a father that I have a responsibility to my children and my future grandchildren and my future great-grandchildren. We have a responsibility not only to our own families, but now we have a responsibility to the next generation of, guess what? This church in our community. You know, a lot of times we're like, oh, okay, church, we come to church, we like church, whatever. You know what I mean? This and that. And we think we're short-sighted, right? We're short-sighted. This is where I go. And this is what I do. But do you realize that we need to make sure that we keep our focus on passing down truth to the future generations? Do you realize that we could be one generation away from following biblical truth? If you get the wrong person, the wrong people in charge that don't look at God's word and say this is truth, that's going to be a problem. We have a board, elders and deacons here. If I go rogue and start teaching, like if I come and I'm like, I have this poem that I want to share with you guys, and I'm going to talk about this, you know, they're, they're instructed to take me out, okay? They're supposed to, that's the truth. We need to stick with God's word. That's all, okay? Not our own opinions, not what the world says. The world will increasingly go further and further away from God. And guess what happens? Here's what happens to us as Christians, and this is what I don't like, is then we look like we're intolerant. We don't, we're not with the times. We're irrelevant. Listen, we read a book that's two to three to 4,000 years old in some cases, and it has truth for our life today. That's what we stick to. That's what we stick to. So now, if we don't stick to that, here's what happens. We'll pass deception to the next generation. We'll pass deception to the next generation. I'm not saying the way we do things. Culture changes, obviously. Culture always changes. You know, music changes, different things. We have to stick to what the Bible says. We have to stick to what the Bible says, because if we don't, we're going to create a generation that's deceived. And here's the problem. Deception sneaks in, and then it spreads. 
You know, some years ago, there was a pastor, I was listening to his sermons on podcasts, I appreciate him, went to school that I appreciated and everything, and um, actually, I'll just name him because he's a heretic. His name's Rob Bell, okay? And uh, he was, you know, preaching every Sunday and this and that, and all of a sudden, one day, I I tuned into his podcast, and there was an elder, and they're like, Pastor Rob's taking a sabbatical because he needs something new and fresh. He's looking for something new and fresh. You know what new and fresh he came back with? There's no hell. That's what new and fresh he came back with. And hey, listen, I don't like the concept and the thought and the teaching of hell, but that's why I'm here. So you know the truth and don't go there, okay? We can't just erase it. We can't just say, I don't believe this anymore, so it must not be true. Because it is. Eternal separation from God is a real thing. And the only thing that we can, the only way that we can escape that is through trusting in Jesus. So we teach people to trust in Jesus, not that there is no hell. So here, here's how deception works. So what if we start to do that? If we're going to Baptist Church, we don't teach about that anymore. And then we just start passing it down generation to generation to generation. And all of a sudden, like, everybody's deceived. Everybody who's connected with this church and sticks with it is deceived. Then when people come in with truth, they're like, get that person out of here. Make them leave. Kind of similar to what they did to Jesus, right? You know, let's kill them. <laughs> Let's get rid of this guy. We don't like what he's saying. So then the question becomes this. How do we prevent being deceived? How do we prevent it? Obviously, we know we stick to God's word, but listen to what John says. He says, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. So he's talking to Christians. He's saying the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. We're going to explain that. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The anointing is the Holy Spirit. When you believe in Christ as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. We trust the Holy Spirit through God's word to teach us the truth. John's not saying that you don't need teachers because the the rest of the New Testament talks about how, you know, you need teachers to help you. He's saying you don't need someone to come up with something fresh and new to teach you that goes away from what God's holy word teaches you. That's not necessary. Don't follow those people. Don't follow those people. Don't go looking for something new because there is nothing new. Salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone. We, as a church, need to make sure that we continue down that way so we don't deceive other people. So we stick with what we have from God and his word. The Holy Spirit guides us. You know how sometimes when you're reading the scriptures, you're like, oh, this is kind of tough. I don't really understand it. Then you pray, right? You pray. Yes, Lord, help me understand it. And then all of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit massages your heart, helps you to understand things a little better, helps you to accept the things that you might not understand I mean, hey, think about it. Like, when I'm reading the scriptures and stuff, when I'm, like, studying to preach and stuff, I'm like, ah, oh, we have to deal with this. I don't really like that part, you know? Can we just rip that page out, God? But he's like, no, no, you know what? Be confident in me. Teach what my word has to say. Trust what my word has to say. You're not God. I am. That's constantly what God is saying to us. Follow after me. And guess what? When we start to do that, like Daniel experienced throughout his life. I mean, we studied this guy's life. I mean, what a faithful guy, right? A godly man. We have one more week to deal with some of the stuff. 
What a godly man. What did he experience through his whole journey? 85 years old, 90 years old. Here's what he experienced. We have a faithful God. Don't let anyone deceive you. God is faithful. He loves us. He's communicated to us through his word. Don't be deceived by what the world has to say. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful, Lord, that we don't have to live a life of confusion, but we can live a life in faith focused on you. Just thankful for that. Thankful for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.